I told you guys last week you'd be all surprised how I named this, uh, this day's message. It's the culture of living hope for. So as you guys know, we're going through seven weeks of the culture of living hope family church. And as I've said before, I think this is really important because we need to understand who we are. We need to understand what we stand for because it's so easy to forget in today's day and age. There's so many distractions. There's so many things. And you, I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but you wake up one morning and you're like, man, what am I even doing? Two years ago I had this plan and now I don't even know where I'm at. And we want to make sure that that doesn't happen to us here at Living Hope Family Church. So we're going to be going over the, who we are as a church, the culture of our church. And today we're going to focus on that we are a people who love and honor one another. We started this with uh, the first one is we're a people who worship, we're a people who pray, and what was the third one? Anybody remember? I totally went blank. Now you guys were all here too. Last, it was last week's. Hey. Yeah, we did worship, we did praise. Uh, Worship, pray off. Oh, got the other one. All right. We're going to cut this out of the recording. <laughs> Praise God. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look right now because I'm going crazy. It's, it's, yeah, it's not like I wrote these, right? Oh, let's see. Two is worship. People who worship. Oh, that's right. The first one is the one I'm forgetting. The most important one. We're people saved by faith and saved by the grace of God. All right. Now I feel better. See, you guys are lucky I was able to look it up because it would have been a terrible message. Otherwise, it would have been in the back of my head and you guys have been bored. And, but, uh, yeah, we're people that are saved by grace. We're a people who pray, we're a people who worship, and today we're going to learn that we're a people who love and honor one another. You know, how to behave in the body of Christ is a pretty big deal to God. If you go ahead and just read through the New Testament, you're going to see over and over how God talks about how we should interact with one another, how we should relate to one another, how we should behave with one another, how we should treat one another. And when you see something that many times in the Bible, you can go, you know what, I I bet this is pretty important to God. So we're going to take a look at it today. You see, because I think the reason why it's, it's mentioned so many times is because when you're close with people, when you're a family with people, it's easy to kind of act a little crazy with one another. Kind of think about it like your biological family. Now, I know with my sister, there are ways that I'll treat my sister, things that I'll do to my sister that I would never even dream of doing to somebody else. I tend to get angry faster. I tend to be rude with her at times. You know, a long time ago, not anymore. I'm the, I'm the picture of a perfect brother now. <laughs> but, you know, I, I look at some of the stuff that we did to one another, and we'd never treat uh, our, our friends like that. Or think about maybe some of the things that you've done to your spouse, where you've expected a little too much, or you've, you've done something a little bit across the line. Because the, the reality is, is when you know somebody loves you, 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 you do stuff a little crazy because you know that they're going to love you unconditionally anyway. But we don't want to get into that habit. We don't want to get into that mindset where we're treating one another poorly because, oh, we're Christians and we're going to be okay with it. We need to make sure that we're respecting each other and honoring each other. 
You know, something else that we, we do as Christians is we hold uh, people to a higher standard when they're Christians. And now, that's okay to an extent. We need to be holding one another accountable to live godly lives. But the problem runs is that when we hold other people to a higher standard than we even hold ourselves to. And then, don't even, me and, me and Bill were just talking about this morning, don't even get me started on, on, on Christians trying to, to expect people that aren't Christians to act like Christians. If they're not Christians, why do we expect them to act that way? Let's pray for them and get them saved. Then once they get saved and they have that life-transforming experience, that new spirit placed inside of them, then maybe they'll start acting like Christians. But until then, it's just nonsense to think they're going to act like it. There was also a book written by Dwight L. Carlson, and he says, Why do Christians shoot their wounded? You ever seen that attitude in the church? Somebody slips up and makes a mistake, and instead of lifting our brothers and sisters up and trying to restore them, the first thing we do is shun them and turn them away. That's not godly. And the truth is, how we interact with one another, how we treat one another, it's going to impact how effective that we are in this world. Because see, when the world on the outside is looking in and they see us acting much the same as they act, why would they want to be a part of us? Why would, I mean, why would I want to deal with that when it's just easier to stay in the world you guys all act the same? So the first scripture we're going to look at this morning is Matthew ten forty through 41. It says, Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. Did you guys know that how you receive people impacts what you, what you can get from what you can receive from them? However you ex- uh, receive them into your life is going to impact what they can do in your lives. Let me give you a silly example to, to, to explain this. So say you've got a problem with your AC. AC is broken down. It's hot. Things are going miserable. And you're like, I know, I'm going to call a repairman. But you call him a mechanic. You call a car mechanic. And you receive this car mechanic into your home as an air, AC repairman. How many know that nothing's going to get accomplished? If, you, if, you, if you're expecting him to do something that he's not, if you receive him as something other than he is, he can't accomplish anything in your life because he's not an AC repairman. He's a mechanic. But if you receive an AC repairman into your home as an AC repairman and let him do the work that he's paid to do, that he's trained to do, then you're going to get your AC fixed. Now, I realize that's kind of a silly example, but I've seen it play itself out in my life. I remember when I was a kid, I was a teenager, and I was going to a, a church called Tree of Life uh, Family Church. I don't know, I think it was, we started going there when I was like 14 or so and went there through as a teenager. My best friend was the, 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 his dad was the pastor of the church. But I thought I was pretty clever because I never called him Pastor Brent. I always just called him Brent. or referred to him as Brent. And, uh, you know, somehow this was this clever idea in my head, somehow making him me equal to him in some way, or, uh, you know, oh, you're not any better than me, or I don't know what it was. I, was. I was a kid and stupid. So, you know, I did all kinds of stupid stuff. But I look at it now, and I wonder, what did I, I miss out on? Because I obviously wasn't receiving him as my pastor. 
You know, when, when you don't receive somebody as who they are in your life, and they can't speak into your life the way that they should. You know, one of the things that my pastor told me when, when uh, I was starting this, he's like, you know, when I first started a church, I used to just let all the guys call me by my first name. I didn't, I didn't ask them to call me pastor or expect it, and it was this big thing. He says, but I found out that it, it made me entirely ineffective in their life because they never saw me as their pastor. You know, so like for me, when you guys call me pastor, if I'm your pastor, if you call me pastor, it's not for me, but it's actually for you. What you guys call me is not going to change who I am in God's eyes. God has called me to be a pastor. I'm a pastor whether somebody calls me that or not, but it will impact how I am received in your life. If you don't see me as your pastor, you won't let me speak into your life as a pastor, and I'll be entirely ineffective. Amen? That makes sense? Next in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12-15, it says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. We need to honor one another as co-laborers. That's what we all are in the body of Christ. We are co-laborers together. We've been sent out on a mission from Jesus. He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. And that's what we're doing together. We're co-laboring together to reach this world. And we need to honor one another for that. We need to understand that each one of us in the body of Christ is on a heavenly mission. We've got important work that we're doing. And we need to appreciate one another too, not just get along. You know, it's easy for people to get together and just get along, to be in the same room and not kill each other. But we need to actually appreciate one another as well. The scripture says that to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And admonish you. That means that if you're corrected by someone that's in leadership over you, that hey, you know what? That's not, that they're doing their job. They're trying to help you grow. And it says, and to esteem them very highly, be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. That means we're supposed to admonish one another as well. You know that in the body of Christ, we're supposed to be working. Now, we don't do works to be right with God. If you're doing works to be right with God, you got it backwards. But once God does a work in your heart, we need to be doing works in the body of Christ. Actually, the scripture says that we were created for good works. And we need to be working among each other. This is admonish the idle and encourage the faint-hearted. That means that, that uh, when I encourage you to, to help out in the body of Christ, when we're asking people to get together and do stuff, I'm encouraging you not to be idle, but work in the body of Christ. And that's one thing that you'll notice if you're a part of this church. Why, you, you show up here, I'm going to ask you to do stuff. We've got work to do. We've got stuff to get done. It says help the weak and be patient with them all. I also understand that we need to understand as a body that we're all not in the same place either. Some of us are more mature in the Lord than others. And those of us that are more mature in the Lord, we need to make sure that we're helping those that are growing, encouraging them, lifting them up. It says Encourage the faint-hearted. Let's go ahead and, and encourage them to be strengthened in the Lord. And everything that we do should be out of love for one another. 
you know, we should see each other as family members, as brothers and sisters. Not just something that, that we say, but it should be how we feel towards one another. And when you love people, you go out of your way to help them, to encourage them, to support them. Now, something that uh, I want to make real clear as I was just talking about admonishing one another. That's true, we should be encouraging each other. But I want you to know that... Uh, two distinctions we need to make. One, before you begin to speak into someone's life, before you begin to admonish them, you need to have a relationship with them. I'm not going to walk to somebody up on the street and just begin to, to, even if I know they're a Christian, if I don't have a relationship with them, I don't have any right to speak in their life, nor have they given me any right. Just like we looked at this last scripture, they don't see me as anybody, so they're not going to receive me as anything. So one, if we're going to admonish one another, we need to have a relationship with one another. We need to know each other. And two, it sure as heck doesn't mean condemning one another. And that's very important. We don't condemn one another. We encourage one another. You know, there's a scripture that says that we, we speak to each other the truth in love. And usually when people start this, I'm going to tell you in love, brother, it's, it's a negative thing and they begin to bash you across the face. But speaking the truth in love is not telling them what they're doing wrong, but telling them what Christ has already done right in their life, who they are in God. Amen? In Colossians three eighteen through 21, we need to understand that we need to have honor in our family as well. Colossians three eighteen through 21 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So we'll break this down verse by verse. Wives, submit to your husbands. That means that in a godly relationship, that wives are supportive and and, and submitted to the husband. It doesn't mean that the husband can walk all over them. That doesn't mean that the husband can beat them up. It doesn't mean that they're some sort of slave. But what it does mean is that they trust their husband to make the right decisions for their family. And they co-labor with them. They work alongside them. It doesn't mean they don't have a say. But the scripture says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. And then it says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. You know, one of the, 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 the biggest problems young men can have when they start reading the scriptures is like, oh yeah, you've got to submit to me, woman. Do what I say. But that's not what the scripture is saying. You know what it says here? It says, husbands, love your wives, do not be harsh with them. Uh, another scripture says that, that love them as Christ loved the church. You want to know what Christ did for the church? He died for it. He gave his life for it. That's the kind of husband we want to be. That We're, we're taking care of our family. We're, we're protecting them and we're loving them. Then every decision we make is for their well-being. To be honest with you, as a man, you know, there's this, young men have this idea that it's some sort of privilege, but it's not a privilege, it's a responsibility. You're going to answer to a whole lot more one day than your wife is because you have a whole lot more responsibility in that. And it doesn't mean that you're better or worse, that God loves men more or women more. It just means that you have a role, you have a responsibility. And you know what? You're going to have to answer for whether you lived up to that. Next it says, children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord and your parents. <laughs> you hear that? This is for you. Write it down. I'll wait. Write the scripture. Memorize it. <laughs> it says, children, obey your parents. 
You know, as, as parents, we should be godly parents, and we should be raising our children in a godly way. And in that case, our children need to be, to be obedient as well, because that is godly for them. But then it goes on to say, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. That means that, you know what? You need to be a good parent as well. You don't need to exasperate your children. You don't need to beat them up and tear them down. We need to be encouraging them. And the decisions that we make for them where we ask their obedience better be for their well-being. Amen? But as a church, I want to be, the culture of our church should be people that show honor in their family all the way around. Wives to husbands, husbands to wives, children to parents, and parents to children. Amen? Next, we need to understand that as Christians, as a body, we are one. In 1 Corinthians 12, 25 through 26, it says that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And in Romans 12, 15, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. You know, in the world, people are envious of those that succeed around them. They get jealous instead of supportive. And then there's this idea that, uh, you know, the, you know, misery loves company. When somebody's having a hard time, they want to bring you down with them. There's this better you than me attitude. Anybody ever experienced that in their life? But the truth is that as Christians, we should be rejoicing with others when they have successes. When people get promoted, when they gain blessing, when people have babies, people get married, we shouldn't be jealous, wishing, you know, upset that they're getting, you know, why is God blessing them and not me? But we should be rejoicing with them. You know, I look at the, the scriptures and I see Christ set the example with Lazarus. You remember, Lazarus is dead in the tomb, he's all wrapped up, you know, he's been in there a few, day, a few days Jesus talks about rolling back the stone, and they're like, but Lord, he stinketh. He was in the tomb for a lot of, he was dead for a long time. But we know the story, right? Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Now, the interesting thing to me about this story is that Jesus shows up. First off, they find out that he's, he's not doing well, and Jesus, instead of rushing there to take care of him, he just takes his time. And, you know, he makes sure he's good and dead for a while because Jesus had a mission. He was, he was going there to show the power of God. And there was going to be no confusion that dude was dead. But he shows up, and it says that Jesus wept. And that's always been strange to me because it's not like Jesus went, got there, he was all upset, he's been dead for a while, and then he goes, wait a minute, I know what I can do. This was his plan all along. So why did Jesus weep when he knew that Lazarus wasn't permanently dead? But it's because he looked around and he saw the people in anguish and in pain. And he wept with them. He wasn't weeping for Lazarus. He was weeping for the people that were hurting. And that's the way we should be as well. We should hurt with others and rejoice with others. There's a guy named Jeremiah Bowser. He's an he's a excellent uh, worship leader. He's got some albums out, and he's always doing worth in, work in South Africa and, and South America. He primarily does most of his mission work in, in South America. But he was in Uganda 
one time doing some mission work, and, and the missionaries there had gathered some money, and, and uh, uh, forgive me, it's been a long time since I heard this story, so it's probably not as detailed as it would have been originally, but basically all the women in the town were blessed by the missionaries, and they all gave them some money, and it wasn't a whole lot of money, but it was, it was a lot to them. And when that happened, when they gave out this extra money to bless these ladies, they were the, the ladies in the camp that were, you know, doing all the cooking and the washing and the laundry and all that stuff when they blessed them. He said that around the camp there was just incredible rejoicing everywhere. The women were, were just beside themselves and they were so thankful. But he said that there was one woman who wasn't there. She was in town doing something, so she didn't get uh, the same the same gift that everyone else had gotten. So they found out later that evening, hours later, and it's actually pretty late at night, they found out. So they're like, oh, we want to make sure she's blessed as well. So they, they went and found her, and they, they gave the same gift to her. And an interesting thing happened, because in the United States, we'd have been like, she wasn't here, why did she get that? And people would have been upset that she got that. But there was just as much rejoicing by all the ladies in the camp. It was just as loud. They were just as excited for this one lady getting blessed as they were when the whole group got blessed. You know, that's the attitude that we should have. You know, when somebody in the church gets a job, even if you're looking for a job, if somebody else gets a job, we shouldn't be jealous and wonder why they're being blessed, but we should rejoice with them. Because one of our brothers and sisters, one of our friends has been blessed. And also it says here that we don't want any division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. We need to be operating as one as well. You know, the, the success for one in the whole body is a success for all of us. And a failure for one is a failure for all of us. We should be lifting one another up, encouraging one another. We should operate as one. And you think about this, like think about this in your, in your regular body is, is, you know, we have hands and feet in the different parts. But when you, when you stub your toe, your whole body feels it. If you poke out your eye, your whole body is going to feel it. If you, if you go blind, your whole body is going to feel that. And you know what? When, when something happens in your body, if you stub your toe, the first thing we do is not cut off our toe. But instead, we take care of that part of our body. And the same thing should happen in the body of Christ as well. Instead of separating ourselves, we should be pulling ourselves together. By separating ourselves, we just make ourselves weaker. When someone leaves the church for offense or for whatever reason, it actually damages the body of Christ because their gifts, their talents, their abilities need to be used. They're going to be missed in that body. The next scripture we're going to look at is how we should love one another. In John 13, 34-35, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And in John 15, 12-13, it says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You know, in our society, love is an often overused and misunderstood term. It doesn't mean the same thing that the scripture means when it talks about love. We use love in the sense of like, I love pizza, I love ice cream, I love football. That's not the kind of love it's talking about. 
the love that he's talking about here, this is, this is the, the Greek word, is, is an agape love. It's a self-sacrificing love. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, used the agape type of love to describe what he believed was the highest level of love known to humanity. A selfless love, a love that was passionately committed to the well-being of the other. Jesus said, love, you, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus died for us. Are you willing to lay down your life for one of your brothers or sisters? That's a crazy thing to ask, but that's how we're commanded to love, with that passion, with that sincerity, with that level of commitment. And then it also says here, by all this people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love should be our calling card. It should be our, our business card. We, we should just hand out love. I mean, love should be seen on us at every, at every point in time. Matter of fact, somebody could walk by us and brush up against us, and they should be like, I think you just got love on me. I mean, we should be known by our love. You know, I, I was in the military. I joined the military right out of high school. I was in the reserves for, for uh, they call it six and two, six years um, regular reserve too, an active regular reserve, but I was in the military. And when we were in basic training, they told us that when you go to another country, that they're going to know you're military. Even if you go out in regular clothes, even if you're not in your BDUs, they're still going to know that you're in the military because it's in the way that you cut your hair. It's going to be in the way that you walk. It's going to be, I mean, they, they taught us when we walked, when we were trained to march, you know, you put your hands a certain way and you walk a certain way. And, and especially in, at our basic training, we all walk the same way. We, we cut our hair the same way. We all look the same. And they said, you know what? They're going to know that you're in the military. And they were doing this as a warning because some countries are, are a little bit hostile to the American military. But it was kind of a warning. But the same is true in the Christian church, and it's not a warning. But they should know us by how we walk, how we talk, how we treat one another. And this love is the very nature of God. This, this expression of love in each and every one of us is the very nature of God inside of us. 1 John 4, 8, it says, The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. If you have God inside you, love should be oozing you, oozing out of you, of every pore of your body. Amen? So why should we have this love? Why should we act like this? Well, the first thing I want to say, show is that, that uh, <clears throat> we should act like this. We should love one another because of who Jesus is. In Colossians 3, 12 through 16, it says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one is a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, these put on, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with a thankfulness in your hearts to God. You know, the reason why that we should act in love is because of Jesus Christ inside of us. It says right here that we should forgive because the Lord has forgiven you. You know, when we look at 
at our lives as Christians. And I'm not talking right now about those temporary moments where we're dealing with an issue. Somebody has harmed us, and it, it takes us a little bit to get over it. But people that, that choose to never forgive and claim to be Christians need to think about some things. We forgive because Jesus forgave. That's a natural response inside of us to the work that he's done inside of us is to forgive others. And if we have the inability to forgive others, and I'm not talking about that short-term struggling with it, I'm talking about that conscious decision that it's not going to happen, then we need to to reevaluate our position in Christ. Because the truth is, if you're saved, if you know Jesus, it's going to be a natural response to forgive others. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but it is what's working inside of you. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. With these things inside of us, it's going to change the way you behave. It's going to change the way you act. You've been made brand new. He says, let this dwell in you as we teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. We talked about that earlier. Admonishing is not condemning right here. It says, let's do it in all wisdom. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Admonishing should be done in an encouraging manner. Instead of telling people how wrong they are for the sin that they've just committed, instead begin to tell them all the right things that Christ has done in them and saying, you know what, brother? You're forgiven. You're free from this thing that's bothering you. You're victorious in Jesus Christ. That's how you admonish somebody in their sin. Not beginning to to put them down and shooting the wounded, amen? Next, we need to, to live this way because of who we are. In Colossians 3, 8 through 10, it says, But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, when I say because of who you are, I'm not talking about who you are in and of yourself. But I'm talking about who you are in Christ. The scripture says, put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander. You'll notice these go in, in increasing order. Anger is just, you know, regular anger. Wrath is, is uh, an intense anger. Malice is anger with an intent to harm. They just kind of ramp on up here. And he says, go ahead and put all that stuff away. And any obscene talk from your mouth. And why do we do this? Because we have put off the old self with his practices and put on the new self. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, the scripture says that anyone in Christ is a new creation. If you have Christ inside of you, you are brand new. All this junk up here, that's who you used to be. That's not who you are anymore. So the reason why we express love to one another, we honor one another, is because of who we are in Christ. The work that he's done inside of us, changing fundamentally who you are on the inside. It's a miracle when you get saved. The old man is taken out and the new man is put in. And the problem with all these things is all these things are so destructive in anybody's life, let alone just the life of a Christian. You know, lying, this lying to one another, that destroys relationships. Matter of fact, that's probably the the number one thing that you can do to destroy a relationship is just uh, lie, be untrustworthy. You know, that's one of the things I know with, with my kids as I, as I train them up, as I've been uh, teaching them how to be godly men and women, the thing that gets them in trouble the most 
is lying about what they've done. I can deal with almost everything else. We can correct everything else, but lying, that's the thing that destroys trust. And it just it begins to drive a wedge in between people that, that is very difficult to overcome. You know, we need to make sure that we're not lying to one another because that's so damaging in the body of Christ. That's why the Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. That's his realm, not the realm of the Christian, amen? This, this stuff up here, that's not who we are anymore. So let's not act that way, amen? The next, the third reason why we need to treat people in love and honor and respect is because of who they are. In 2 Corinthians 5.16, it says, For now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. You ever wonder why we always evaluate other people at their worst but ourselves at our best? It's always seemed strange to me, although we all do it. I know I've done it. I'm sure everyone in this room's done it. You know, we judge others on the, their mistakes, but we judge our, ourselves on the, on the good times. We tend to look away from the mistakes. You know, when we look at others, we need to remember that we weren't always the model of, of spirituality and moral excellence. I'm sure we've all had our issues. And the truth is, a person's value has nothing to do with their deeds, nothing to do with their actions, nothing to do with the stuff that they've done. My question to you is, how do you see people? Do you just view them as a, as a set of things that they've done? Because they've, they've done something bad, and now we automatically think less of them? I want you to know that God still loves them. Something has its worth determined by what someone is willing to pay for it. And you know what? There's a world full of people out there that the worth was valued to be the life of Jesus Christ. And that's how we should view them. That's how we should see them. We need to evaluate people, evaluate people not about their lows, not in their highs, not on the things that they've done, but we need to see people as Christ sees them. It's one of the prayers I pray all the time is that I would see with the eyes of God that he would give me his eyes. Because it's so easy to have your judgment clouded when you look around and you see the, the terrible things that are going on. Me and Bill were talking this morning about the stuff that's going on in this country and how crazy it is. And I told him, you know, my view on this is, is laws aren't going to fix this country. Legislation's not going to do it. We need to change people's hearts. We need to get them saved. If we want this country to change, we need to start telling people about Jesus and getting them saved. That's when we're going to see change. And the only way that we're willing to do that is if we see them as Christ sees them. It's just like when Jesus hung out with the sinners and the tax collectors and the Jews wouldn't have anything to do with them. The Jews had already been, had already been tasked with, with ministering to those in the Gentile nations, but they weren't doing it. Because they didn't see them how God saw them. We want to see people how Christ sees them. Amen. In Luke 17, 3-4, it says, Pay attention to yourselves if your brother sins. Rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And Galatians 6, 1-2 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... 
You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That's some key words right there. Spirit of gentleness. And keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, there's no limit to the amount of times that we should forgive somebody as long as they are coming to us with a repentant heart. Now, I'm not telling you to be abused by people that don't care. But if people come to you with a repentant heart, we need to forgive them as Christ has forgiven us. In Matthew 18, 21 through 22, it says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Seven times seventy. is how the uh, different translations word that. But I said to you seven times seventy. Basically, it's the same thing as saying as often as he does it. You see, what happened there in that story is, is Jewish law said that you forgive somebody three times. After three times, they, they mess around with you three times, and you're done with it. You don't have to forgive them again. So Peter was actually being a little hyper-spiritual. He was like, well, Jesus, how about if I do it seven times? Thinking he was going to be looking good in Jesus' eyes. But Jesus is like, ah, you're missing the point. Not seven times, seven times 70. Basically, you just keep on doing it as long as they keep coming back to you with a forgiving heart. We also see that we're called to restore our brothers, not cast them out, not push them away. We restore them in a spirit of gentleness. And then it says that we need to bear one another's burdens. You know, if somebody's struggling, we should be right there alongside them, helping them, praying for them, walking alongside with them. Whether it's as simple as helping somebody move, be there to help them move, or as big as if they're struggling in some area and you're getting them the help that they need, working with them to, to overcome, to be victorious in, in a certain area in their lives. And Matthew 5, 23-24 says, So if you're offering your gift at the altar and, and, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now this is an interesting one because it says that if you're at the altar and you remember that you have something against somebody, that's not what it says. It says that if you remember that your brother has something against you, put your stuff down and go make it right. If we know that, that, that somebody has an issue with us, then we need to go talk to them. We need to, to make amends. We need to try to work it out. Pastor Wayne, they're the one to me. They, they, they should come to me. No, the scripture says if you know somebody has something against you, go deal with it. And it's not just having issues with others, but even if people have issues with us. The, the truth is that in the body of Christ that we need to be at peace with one another. And to be honest with you, I don't care who comes to the other person. Let's deal with this stuff. Let's work together. Let's, let's honor one another so that we can be effective in the body of Christ. Amen? In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, it says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. In Galatians 6.9-10, it says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Encourage one another and build one another up. This is what we're commanded to do. This is something we're encouraged to do. This is something that we should be doing to one another all the time. 
nobody in the body of Christ should ever feel like that they're walking alone. We should always be standing around one another. And then in Galatians 6, 9-10 it says, And let us not grow weary of doing good. How many of you know that if it says let's not grow weary, that there's the possibility of growing weary of doing good? Anybody ever felt grown weary of doing good? Yeah, I know you have if you're in a church plant. Because you're doing a, doing a lot of stuff. You're like, oh, come on. Can't, can't we just grow so somebody else can help out? <laughs> when we first got into this building, I know when we're all here almost every night of the week working on the bathrooms and putting stuff up. I don't know about you guys, but there were times I was growing weary of doing good. But the scripture says, hey, don't do that, because in due season you will reap. And when we're helping one another out, the same thing as we do these things, let's not grow weary, because there is a reward if we don't give up. The only way that you miss out is if you give up. So let's not give up. Let's lift one another up. And then he says, as we have opportunity, let's do good to everyone, which is in the body of Christ and in the world. But it says, especially those who are of the household of faith. You know, it should be apparent in the body of Christ that we love one another and are taking care of one another. And unfortunately, as a whole, I don't think we're doing too great as this. Uh, and I'm talking, talking, talking about here, but just as the church as a whole, the, we got some holes, we got some problems. But the reality is, is we can't do anything about anybody else. All we can take responsibility is for ourselves. And let's be a people that are lifting one another up. Amen? We're going to go ahead and finish up here in 1 Peter 4, 8-9. It says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. This is Peter preaching the same thing that Paul's been preaching. Let's love one another. Earnestly. That means for reals. Not just lip service. Let's really love one another. And he wouldn't tell us to keep on doing it, just like the last scripture. He says, keep on doing it if it wasn't a possibility to stop. But we need to be diligent to love one another and not give up ever. And something interesting in this one is it says, since love covers a multitude of sins. Anybody ever wondered what that, that scripture meant? I looked at that and I'm like, this doesn't make any sense to me. I thought Jesus covered all the sins. And that's true, Jesus died on the cross, and he paid for all of our sins. And he's given us forgiveness of sins. And if, there's, if, if Jesus was successful, then there would be nothing else needed. So what does this mean, since love covers a multitude of sins? It's not talking about forgiveness of sins. Jesus died for you and forgave your sins. What it's talking about is our interaction with one another. Because how many of you know that as much as we try our best to love one another, it's going to be times we're going to offend one another. We're going to upset one another. You know what gets you through that? Love. If we have love for one another, we'll, we'll work through those things. We'll deal with them. I'm going to tell you right now, if you've been in this church for a long time, I've probably offended you. If you stay with us for longer, I'll probably offend you some more. I won't do it intentionally. And if I ever know, I'll, I'll go to you and try to make things right. But I'm sure it's going to happen. So the question is, How do we deal with it? You know, we need to make sure that whatever happens, we work through it. We we don't let it break up the body of Christ. But instead, we love one another and get through the multitude of sins. As Christians, and we'll finish up here, 
As Christians, love is a natural expression for us. It is a response to the love that God has showed us. It's a natural response. And it is an outpouring of the love that lives inside of us. And like electricity flows through a wire, God's love must flow through us. The question I ask is, how can we imitate Christ? Which we've been commanded to do, right? Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. If we're to imitate Christ, how can we do that without showing love? But if we'll get ourselves out of the way, and just follow Jesus' commandments to love one another. Let him live through us. All this will happen naturally. So let's be a people who's going to do that. Let's be a people who are going to get out of the way and let love, God's love flow through us to one another, to the world. And let's be known by our love. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.